Welcome to Talking History, a series of talks from Farnham U3A History Group. In this talk, Nigel Barriott gives us an insight into the life of Victoria and Albert. Part 1. Sanitation, which was an, an enormous problem, especially in, in medicine, physical cleanliness, and sewage treatment. Not a very savoury subject to talk about, but immensely important in, in understanding the Victorian age. We should be uh, enormously grateful to Victorian engineers who clean things up. The U Bend was invented about 1770. And that was an enormous leap forward for civilization, because otherwise it was straight down an enormous stench. Half the house was full of it. 
And so that was immensely forward. It was invented by a jeweler, funnily enough. In, in terms of medicine, I'm no expert on this, but we're fortunate to have an expert here. But anyway, a lot of people were dying needlessly. They weren't cleaning. It was only, until, only in 1860 that doctors started cleaning their arms up to the elbow and using soap, carbolic soap, I believe. And, and that saved... It, it was pretty risky having a baby if you were a woman. It's worse than Tudor times, but could easily uh, lose your baby. There's various figures banded around, but it was a definite danger, and wealth or class would not protect you from it. Now, there were large pockets of se severe poverty in rural and urban areas, many slums in cities, and some of these slums were dreadful, you know, 15 people living in a room and lots of children running around without any shoes and that kind of thing. Widespread exploitation of children, both for labour and a sexual exploitation. Of course, there was no one around to report it. It certainly wasn't going to appear in the Illustrated London News. Illiteracy, more often than not. Free education wasn't available until 1891. But in spite of all this stuff, there was a, a tremendous energy there were a lot of very powerful, productive minds at work. And England was becoming the powerhouse of the world in industry, Birmingham, Manchester, Sheffield. And the British Empire was the largest the world had ever seen. I, I used to have a, a globe when I was young. And my grandfather used to say, typical thing, he said, if you shut your eyes and spin the globe round, and put your finger on the globe, two times out of three will land on British territory. Wonderful stuff, isn't it? And towards the end of the 1800s, the, the empire suddenly got a lot bigger. Egypt and the Middle East and lots of countries were added on quite quickly. Well, I'm going to move on to the early life of Victoria. The Victoria was brought up at Kensington Palace under the so-called Kensington system. Now, there was a, a lot of alarm in royal circles about its survival, especially after the death of Princess Charlotte, who was George IV's only surviving child. She died at 19, and Victoria was just the last one standing, basically. So she was allowed little freedom and watched closely, and there was a rather strange um, and a Rasputin-like character called Sir John Conroy, who was her mother's uh, assistant, a controller. I still haven't worked out what that is. And he was widely believed to be um, her lover, her mother's lover, obviously. Yeah. And he certainly wasn't married. It raised a few eyebrows. I'm not, I'm not sure it would have raised a few eyebrows now. What was he doing? He's quite a domineering character. And Victoria hated him, basically. And he lobbied hard to try and be uh, Victoria's private secretary, but she wouldn't have it. And they were both confined to a remote part of the palace. In, in, in those days, uh, Kensington Palace was a lot more sort of rural than it is now. And they had 700 elm trees, which were cut down in 1876. And it was a, a nice place to be brought up. And Victoria was an artistic child, and she made a lot of time making dolls, and some of them were quite exquisite, really. Her mother, Duchess of Kent, 
Now she, uh, Victoria's mother, was Prince Albert's aunt, and her brother was Albert's father. Okay, moving on to um, Victoria and Albert's first meeting. Now this was all, all, all arranged, if you like, contrived. It was in 1836. It was, of course, to be an arranged courtship. And, and, and later, certainly, their ambitious uncle Leopold um, hoped a marriage. They were first cousins. Now, I'm sure a lot of you have heard about this issue with first cousins. And if, if you talk to people who work in the NHS, there's still an issue with this today. There's some communities in Asia, for instance, who still marry their first cousin. And it's, it's very well, expensive for the NHS to sort it out. Strange things happen. I, I mean, in Victoria and Albert's case, the children had, uh, there was haemophilia um, going around. But sometimes if you marry your first cousin, your child might be playing football at the age of 10 and suddenly drop dead. Very uh, alarming because you still don't know um, all, all the reasons for this, but not a good idea, I don't think. The first meeting, of course, was very good, and in spite of everything, you know, she, she was very uh, obstinate, and she didn't like to be sort of told to do anything. But Victoria was instantly taken by Albert. Writing to Leopold, he was, he was uncle to both of them. Victoria describes the first impression of meeting Albert. He's so sensible, so kind, and so good, and so amiable, too. He has, besides, the most pleasing and delightful exterior and appearance you can possibly see. The couple fell deeply in love during their second meeting in 1839 and were engaged on the 15th of October that year. Now, there was another suitor around, William of Orange, but Victoria didn't fancy him, basically, um, and he wasn't, he wasn't as uh, pleasing to the eye as Albert, for one reason, always. Um, Victoria wasn't a kind of a Mona Lisa herself. She was very keen on Albert because, well, fancied him, I suppose. Moving on to the coronation, on the death of William IV, she, she was only 18, and William IV was, <laughs> was very worried that um, there would be a regency, because he, he didn't like uh, Victoria's mother, Duchess of Kent. And he was determined, he said, I'm going to last out. So Queen Victoria has the throne. And he, he did, he, he sort of pegged out within a few days of her, well, a couple of months of her 18th birthday. He, he was a bit jealous of Victoria. Because everywhere she went, the, the people, people loved her. They did a tour around the country, at a place like Menendip. And, and she was immensely, immensely popular. Right, the early, early life of uh, Albert. Now, he, he was born at Schloss <laughs> Rosenhauer. I'm sure you've all been there. Near Coburg. His childhood was marred by constant rowing between his parents. The various rumours of infidelity. His mother was exiled in 1824. Never saw her children again. Rather sad, actually. Rather tragic. She, in fact, married her lover, but it, it didn't go very well. She died about six years later. Now, Albert only had one sibling, that was his brother, Ernest, and they were really close, but, but they weren't similar in character. Ernest was a bit of a, a, a playboy. He liked, he liked some 
enjoying himself and he used to get into quite a lot of trouble. Albert was well educated at the University of Bonn where he studied history of art, politics, economics, law and philosophy. I, th I think he met the philosopher Schiller there, who's a pretty good philosopher. The Saxe Coburg had a, an advisor called Baron Stockmar, who was an enormously able man, good at mathematics, law, bit of philosophy, and he advised Albert. I mean, Al Albert was hugely able as well, and so they were a pretty formidable pair. He, he, he could read music, play the piano, was, a, was accomplished at riding and fencing. Their wedding at the Chapel Royal of St James's Palace was in 1840. Queen Victoria proposed to Albert the previous year because of the protocol of, of a queen. You don't ask to marry the queen, she asks to marry you. Victoria is often credited with starting a white wedding trend, though historians argue about how much truth is the claim. The dress and the famously patterned lace Designed by William Dice, I had a name um, what was known at the time as the, the Government School of Design, it's now the Royal College of Art. And it, anyway, at the time, it was considered absolutely magical and wonderful. wonderful. And, and, and it, it set a, a, a new fashion. And later on, I, I think the, the first photograph ever taken was about 1826, but it, it, it wasn't very good. And so photography was developing. The wedding was well attended, but Albert wasn't popular. It wasn't really his fault. He's a, another damn foreigner, uh, and, and a German one at that too. A German princely, Coburg, uh, Schloss Rosenhau. And Saxe Coburg was only a small place, a small and English, English, English county. So why should we take any notice of this damn German princeling? There was a bit of meanness at the start of his wedding. I mean, Albert always said that they ought to, they ought to have made him uh, Prince Consort on his wedding day. He was eventually made Prince Consort, but only a couple of years before he died. And he was only voted 30,000 a year instead of the customary 55,000. And it was considered a bit mean, basically, damn German. You, you probably all heard of Lord Melbourne, Whig state, statesman and prime minister. He's on various states. He lasted roughly about four years as prime minister. A vain, sophisticated, worldly. Ten years previously, Lady Caroline Lamb had died, and, and she was the lady who had the notorious affair with Lord Byron. He, he, he was... Um, Again, a tremendous influence in the first years of Victoria's marriage. I mean, I mean, to be queen at 18 is a hell of a shock. Who knows what they're doing at 18? I certainly didn't. I didn't see many other people who knew what they're doing. But so he, he was like a father figure. But of course, um, human nature was just as nasty then as it is now. And that they were all saying, "Oh, they're having an affair." He was about 40 years her senior. I think it's highly unlikely that anything physical happened. But anyway, the, the, the relationship was a subject of much gossip, and for, for the time the Queen was known as Mrs. M, which is rather rude, not even Lady M. <laughs> and um, there, was a, there was one other incident which shook the monarchy, and that was an incident with a, a, 
Lady Flora Hastings, who, who, who was known to have been in a carriage with Sir John Conroy, and Victoria would believe anything bad about Conroy, basically. And, and Lady Flora Hastings had been involved in the Kensington system. And, and anyway, she appeared to be pregnant after one of these trips with Conroy, and a lot of vicious, rather nasty rumours going around. And they said that uh, having an affair with Conroy. And anyway, the whole thing was complete innuendo and completely false. After she died, they did a, a, an autopsy, and they found out she had liver cancer, poor thing, and her stomach had swelled up, and there was nothing to do with that. So Victoria was a bit mortified, but she, she got a real punishing in the press for that. The monarchy was at a low ebb. Now, Victoria and Albert was a true love story. Albert and Victoria adored each other. She called him my angel throughout the marriage, and he called her little darling Liebchen. They used to speak German in private, of course. And though they had a public image of high moral standard, their private relationship was often stormy, mainly due to the Queen's jealousy. If a woman spoke to the prince more than a couple of times, she was out of court. They were completely faithful to each other, as far as we know. And both were strong characters. Albert became the power behind the throne as time went on, and perhaps the more dominant of the two, but they adored each other. I never imagined I could find so much love on earth, Victoria and her journal in 1840. So throughout her reign, she, she wrote about 2,000 words a day for, for 63 years. Quite extraordinary. We leave the first part of the talk at the point where Nigel showed a clip from the ITV series about Victoria. You will find a link for the file in the text below. The views expressed by the speaker are not necessarily the same as those held by the team at the Mr T Podcast Studio. This podcast is produced by the Mr T Podcast Studio in association with the Farnham U3A Group. Thank you.